0: Good morning. There it is. The sound of the rain is kind of nice, right? I feel like we can experiment with this. Maybe next week we can play like the sound of waves crashing when I preach. And the week after that, a rambling creek with birds chirping in the forest. We can just go white noise every, every Sunday just to, to set the mood. Um, or not. I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're between service, between sermon series. And so last week, JJ just uh, wrapped up in an incredible way. If you haven't heard it, go to the website and listen, Um, wrapped up our series on Jude. As he mentioned, we're going to jump into uh, our Rhythms of Grace series next week. And so today we just get to talk about something specifically for our congregation, which which is helpful. So as we get ready to do that, I want to pray for you. You pray for me, and then we'll dive in. So, Father, we thank you for today. I just thank you for your faithfulness and how consistently you're so, so good to us. And so, I pray that, that you would just remind us of your, your grace and, and all the ways, Holy Spirit, you would just bring to mind and heart the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases to us this morning. You are, you are faithful, Father. So we thank you for your faithfulness, we stand in your love, and we, we pray, Spirit, that you would help us see the, the heart of, of Jesus that points us to the love of the Father. We pray this, Jesus, in your name, together we say, amen. Well, I, I was born in, in Edmond like 40 40 years ago, and spent most of my life here in this city, and yet in 2013, um, that was the first time that we as a family, Anne and I, along with the, the elders of the church, really began to feel the call to plant uh, a congregation, a frontline congregation here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And although I felt like I knew there was everything to know about Edmond, I could tell you all about Blue Hippos and, and the history of of some of the things that, that are unique to this city, what was a, a really just deep encouragement to, to me and Pastor Steve and, and, and Pastor Tim Kimberly, who planted in Iowa, some of the elders that were here at the beginning, that we were encouraged to really like step back and try to view and study and learn and, and look at Edmund with like fresh eyes. Imagine that we weren't as familiar with the city as we are and were, but, but prayerfully try to see Edmond with with new eyes. And as we did we, we learned some things that was you know that were really encouraging and, and surprising like at the time 8 years ago that Edmond was like the fastest growing city in Oklahoma. What we learned then though and what we we still know today which is true is that Edmond is is a city that the largest demographic, the largest part of the population of Edmond is children. Over 25% of the 95,000 souls that live in our city are under 18 years old. So there's like, 20 elementary schools <laughs> in the city of Edmond. There's seven mid highs. There's four high schools. Those are just the public schools, not like the gaggles of children who are in private or, or homeschool. I mean, it is a city that has, is, is, by the grace of God, full of kids. And so to be a church that loves the city of Edmond, we realized eight years ago, and it's still true today, it means that, that we must be a church that love kids. To be a church for the city of Edmond means that we are a church, are called to be a church, that are for children. And that's really been like, a guide for us in many ways over the last 8 years as as a congregation just one example of that like is actually this building is an artifact of our heart for kids like you you may have noticed that like there's no stained glass here <laughs> like this building is not on any historical registry right and it's it's maybe you might even go as far as saying it 's maybe not the most beautiful church that you 've ever been in, and that 's okay but but what what it is beautiful to do or why it's it 's beautiful it 's like to me, it looks like a little elementary school, and that 's perfect for us <laughs> regarding what specifically we 're called to do. A sweet woman who 's a part of our church named Karen Hugo like uh, what, five years ago now, or yeah, five years ago, about this time of year. She told me this building was for sale, and I distinctly remember touring it alone for the first time with the realtor, and I, I was walking through this portion of the building, and I was like, "This is, it's, it's cooler than the auditorium we're meeting in at UCO. Like, I like it. This is good, right? But then when I got to that north end of the building where our kids meet, and I saw the 5,000 square feet and, and 10 kids' classrooms, and what put it over the edge for me was the miniature toilets that are so cute. When I saw that miniature toilet, it was like the Lord speaking to me. I was like, this is, this is our spot. This is it. Because I, I, I just really got the sense in a true way, like, we could love kids here. We could serve kids here. And as we reflect on our kind of past seven years by God's grace, together we've seen like just some, some amazing things and some really encouraging things fulfilled regarding the mission of our church. We have been able to be a part of planting churches in in places like rural Iowa and urban Mumbai, and we've given hundreds and thousands of dollars away to people and places in need. We've seen gospel communities multiplied all throughout the city and grow in genuine ways, and all that is encouraging evidence of God's grace, yet, like, Quite possibly the most encouraging and beautiful way in which we see our mission as a church come to life is, is week in and week out in and through ministry to that incredibly large people group, that precious number of souls in our city, teenagers and children. I had our kids team look this week and tell me like how many kids, individual kids, have, have come through the doors of a church on a, our church on a Sunday morning this year, and it's nearly 400 different kids under the age of 11 have been here to either be held and prayed for or hear the gospel proclaimed to them. I'm here on Wednesday nights during student ministry, and there were like 80 plus kids 20-plus incoming sixth graders that were here hearing the gospel, praying with each other, and being discipled on Wednesday nights. See, it's not like child care. It's not babysitting. This is actually soul care, truth, watering souls. Kids are, are, are being held and prayed for, being guided to the truth of the gospel, See, it would be a failure of a church to view ministry to, to children as some in an unimportant place to put kids so we can get them on the sidelines so we can get to the, the real ministry... I think when you look at our calling, but deeper than that, when you look at Scripture, ministry to kids this is as real as it gets. And so this morning, I just want to take a few minutes to really reflect on our unique call as a church, where God has called us, where he's placed us sovereignly in this moment, at this time. And it's really good news as to, to what he's doing in us and what he's called us to do. So I just want to reflect on what it means to be a church that has a heart. For children, And that begins by remembering the Father's heart for children. That's the first thing that we need to see, God's heart for children. And there's lots of places we can go, but I want to take us to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a very famous chapter in the Old Testament, and it starts like this. This is Moses speaking. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command to you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." So the context here is there's this critical moment in the life of God's people, and they're approaching the fulfillment of God's promise to to actually give them a land. He's he's led them out of slavery, and he's about to lead them into a land of of sweetness and sustenance. He said milk and honey there that, hey, God has been promising that they're going to have a place to live in peace, shalom with him, of of the absence of conflict and the presence of purpose. And Moses is, in in this critical moment, reminding God's people of who he is and what he's done and the main thing. Verse 4 here, it's, it's referred to as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. And he's bringing them back to, to the main point. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Everything that you are. You're called to worship and he says, in these words I command, you shall be on your heart. You to hold on to them as precious in your innermost being. And then Moses could say anything next after he's reminded them of, of the main thing. But it's, it's amazing, and it should strike us, what he does say next. Right after he gives this greatest commandment, what does he say? Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And he says, when, right, we shall talk to them when you sit. Look, look at how encompassing this is. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, he's saying like, hey, at all times and in all ways, the greatness of God you need to, to instill, to proclaim, to pass on to, from your heart to the hearts of your kids. I think we should just let that sink in. The moment where Moses is saying, hey, remember the most important thing, right after he proclaims that most important thing, he commands that that most important thing immediately after be passed on to children, not once, but all the time, everywhere. The point's this, that God's urgent priority is for children to be brought up in the love of of the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. We see this reinforced in the life and the ministry of Jesus in beautiful ways. That's the second thing I want us to look at this morning Christ's art for children. And we spent time seeing this again and again as we spent 44 weeks studying the Gospel of Mark. I want to remind us a few of those moments. Listen to Mark 9, verse 33. They, Jesus and his disciples, they came to Capernaum. And, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you discussing? What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took, he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, re- receives not me but him who sent me. So the context here is you've got a group of these disciples who, if, if we've read Mark, we've seen just so often are, are just recipients of the patient grace and kindness of Jesus. They're getting it wrong again and again, and they're seeing Jesus seek and serve and lay down his life, and yet when he goes away for a little while, they start arguing about who who's the greatest one, Right. <laughs> And so they've got ministry ambition. You can give them that, but they have a a kind of misdirected belief of what greatness looks like. They've got big plans, but they're for people serving them most likely. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to enter into this conversation, and I'm going to correct you guys because I love you guys. And and I'm going to say, hey, you guys want to be great. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. That Greek word receive, dahomai, it means to, to take by hand, to receive as, in such love that it's like you receive them as family. Some connotations would be like to take and lift and raise up. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to take hold of real greatness, if you want to take hold of my heart, my Father's heart, It's going to look like you taking hold of these children and raising them up like family. That's greatness in my kingdom. Jesus wants kids to be served and cared for by his church. He thinks that's greatness. Mark 10, the very next chapter, verse 13, And they were bringing him children. That he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus saw it; he was indignant and said to them, "Let the children come to me; don't hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God." Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. <laughs> that word "indignant," it's Jesus is shocked with anger. He's offended. He can't believe what he's seeing. You want to look at the most loving, kind, powerful, wisest, the only perfect person to walk the face of the earth, the Son of God, and ask, hey, what gets him shocked and offended in anger? And you see the disciples answer the question here. It's to dismiss, belittle, and and create hurdles for children between them and their relationship with God, to know the living God. So Jesus says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then he prays for these kids. He blesses these kids. He takes time. The most important person on the planet says, there's nothing more important for me to do than to spend time with and bless these children right now. Now, Jesus, when he's saying that... that Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He's not saying that these kids are innocent. He's saying you know, every every parent knows that, right? You figure that out by threes. You're like, this is some deep evil in this child that they're carrying into my home, right? But he's saying the kids are dependent. They do get dependence. They do get grace. They know what it means to receive a gift freely. They know what it means to trust. They know what it means To rely on a mom and a dad for everything. Receiving the kingdom like a child, it means that we lay down any self-righteousness that we think we earn God's favor through, but it recognizes that it's something freely given to us and we're loved like children by a heavenly father. And so Jesus is saying, look, children are a model for God's kingdom, not a hurdle Jesus wants his church to help kids draw near to him, not brush them aside. This is beautiful. Look at the life and ministry of Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 14. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Now before we saw Jesus shocked and offended. Now the religious leaders of Israel are shocked and offended. They're indignant. They're these self-righteous chief priests, these top religious leaders, they're scandalized because why? It's this beautiful moment where kids are in the temple and these kids are proclaiming the praise of Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus as Savior. They're crying out, Matthew tells us, Hosanna to the Son of David. That word Hosanna is a word of praise and joy, but it's a word of praise and joy that's rooted in freedom. It's a freedom song. And so these kids grasp who Jesus is in a way that the chief priests are blind to it. They see him as Savior and King, and they're, they're praising his name. And Jesus is saying, Yeah, don't, don't you guys know Psalm 8? Don't you know it's the sovereign plan of my Father? They're fulfilling prophecy that out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you've prepared my praise. My friend Drew this morning prayed a beautiful prayer. He was like, hey, may it be that that kids' church isn't just ministry from adults to kids, but may it be in our church, Father, the the actual ministry of children to the church. And we see that happening here in Matthew 21. This is children proclaiming truth for adults to hear, singing the praises of Jesus. Jesus' plan is for kids to sing his praise because they know his power. Quickly, look at Matthew 18. This is, this is fun. Jesus says in Matthew 18.10, this is an easy verse to just read by uh, as you're reading Matthew. But let's slow down and see it. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is warning his disciples here once again about not rejecting children, not belittling children, not dismissing children in their ministry. And he says, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Like, what's going on there? What what does that mean? Some theologians tell us that in the ancient Near East, in the court of a king, that there would be like a select few who stood before the king who were allowed to see his face. Which meant that they were, they were in leadership, they had office where they enjoyed special favor or unique relationship or were entrusted with, with particular power. And the implications that theologians say is that here in this verse that perhaps the highest ranking angels are assigned and commissioned by God to watch over with loving care little kids. Jesus is saying, hey, don't despise my little ones because they're so precious that God has appointed his really seal team six of angels to keep watch over them. So next time, like your nephew Eugene, who's in his first semester of seminary, says something about, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about guardian angels, you can be like, well, Consider Matthew 18, right? Oh, this, is, this is pretty crazy. <laughs> At least with little kids, it seems like they've got some special assignment with angelic beings that because God has so prioritized children, his heart for them is, is so rich. Throughout the Gospels, we see and here that Jesus' heart for kids is to know God's love and the church to lead them in that love, which leads us to the third thing that we need to see. The church's heart for, for children and there's lots of places that we can go, but there's always one story that I'm always drawn to, and it's again in Mark. I want to read some of it to us. Mark five twenty-one, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and the crowd followed him and, and thronged about him. Listen to that again. And, and Jesus went with him, Jairus, and, and, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So just picture that in your mind. A desperate dad is trying to lead Jesus to his dying daughter, and there are just hurdles and distractions and, and good things, and, and, but, but things that are in the way. And Jesus is trying to make his way with this parent along with the disciples to this girl in need. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and who had spent all she had and was no better but grew worse. And she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him and immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? This is hilarious. Because he's surrounded by a throng of people and Jesus looks at his disciples, who touched me? You can just imagine the eye roll, like everybody is touching you, right? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace peace. And be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. <laughs> but he put him outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kume, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And told them to give her something to eat. See, I love this story for so many reasons. But I, but I love it because, and I read it this morning, because it's a picture of who we are called to be as a church. We have children who we love. Who need to encounter Jesus to live, to live eternally. Children who... Like each and every one of us are born into sin with a nature that is opposed to God, who rebel against God. Even the cute ones, right? <laughs> the precious ones still have a, a nature to, to, to not receive Jesus as king, but to reject Jesus as king. And they, they need to know and hear and encounter the truth of who Jesus is and, and know the, sh- the truth of what he's done and how he loves them. And so as parents or guardians, we're called to be like Jairus here with our children. We're called to to lead Jesus to them, to to, to bring Jesus to them, to to follow him on a beeline to our kids and say, this is your savior. This is your hope for life. And as a church, we're called to be like the disciples where there's this throng. There's so many distractions, so many things on the way be obstacles in many ways between leading our kids to encounter Jesus. As a church, we want to be like disciples who come alongside and help prepare a way. And even when things that seem like distractions or slowdowns are happening, we say, no, we trust that God is in control and he's powerful and he can do all things. So how do we do this? How do we do this? The first is we just prioritize children in the mission of our church. We, we have to have a heart for the lost, and that means that we need to see children in our church as those who are lost and who need salvation in Christ. And our mission starts with those who are closest to us, God's gift already within our church walls. And this is, the truth is that someday, whether it's like in, in 10 years or two years or when, when Jesus comes back, that like this local congregation will go away. Yet we will we'll have a legacy that is eternal, things that we've done for God, things that we have done that he is doing in us and through us, things that last But it would be tragic and shameful that if we planted dozens of churches all over the world and have a hundred community groups all over Edmond that are multiplied through this ministry, and we have dozens of things that we can point to as as ways that God worked in and through us, but we fail to follow God's heart to lead our kids to faith, that that would be a heartbreak. See, the goal is to not just get kids into church. The goal is to get kids into Christ. I'm often asked, particularly like, a, like a Q&As that we have or coffee and questions or membership, like, hey, what is Frontline Edmund doing for missions? How can I get involved in missions? And, and what that usually means 90% of the time is how can I take a short-term international missions trip, which is awesome right? I love short-term international missions trip. All my friends who have done long-term international missions didn't do that without taking a short-term missions trip. I'm, I'm really thankful and have a high value for taking trips to places like India where I have friends right now that are a part of this church. But a 2015 survey from the National Association of Evangelicals found that, that 63% of Christians put their faith in Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14 years old. So this stage of life is an opportunity where, as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, you know, we as a church have planted, a, helped plant a church in the, 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 the um, 1040 window, right? This, this place that for decades we've been talking about, it's really strategic and we need to make sure the gospel's proclaimed there. So praise God for, for that. But we also need to realize it's important that we need to focus on the 414 window, right? That there's this precious time in the life of a soul that they can hear the truth of God That's the first thing. And the second thing, what do we do with this? How do we respond? Is we want to be a church that partners with parents in the mission of our church. See, no local church is responsible for presenting the gospel to every lost person in the world, but every local church is responsible for the children that are a part of our congregation by the grace of God. We reflect on this a couple weeks ago. We reflected on this a couple weeks ago when we, we uh, had baby dedications. We had like 11 or 12 babies that were dedicated here, I think, two weeks ago. It was so cute, so amazing. But it's also really solemn in a way that, I mean, it's not sad, but it's weighty. It's serious. And, and we can see that in, in kind of the liturgy that we're read through. I think we have it up here to reflect on. You guys don't need to say it with me, but I want to remind us what we did say a few weeks ago. This is how Pastor Cale led us. He said, hey, as parents, to those parents up here with those dozen babies, as parents, will you vow this day to live with the commands of Christ on your hearts as examples to, to your child? Those parents said, I do. Do you vow to proclaim the gospel to your child and teach them the truth and the love of God in your home as you raise them? And those parents said, I do. Pastor Cale asked, do you vow to love this child with the unconditional love of the Father which you've received in Christ? And those parents said, I do. And do you vow to pray for your child to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And as those parents said, I do, Cale turned to each and every one of us. And, and he asked this question to the whole congregation. Hey, will you partner with these parents by supporting them and the ministry to these children in God's church. And we were invited to, to vow together. We do. And Kale asked us again. Will you partner with these parents by praying for them as they lead their child in the way of Christ? And again, together, we all said what? We, we will. See, as a church, we are the family of God. And that means that, that if you're single and you don't have kids or you're married and you, you, you don't have kids or you're an empty nester and your kids are out of the house or you're a grandparent and you're just getting to spoil little children or, or you might have a, just a, a quiver that is full and have 10 kids, right? And you're probably asleep right now. That's okay. In the family of God, the truth is, as a church, we all have children that we're called to to raise up in Christ together. So in light of that, where do we go from here? Well, the first thing that I think we're called to do is just entreat. Pray with intensity. We can all do that. The daily that in, our, in our prayer lives, as we are, are taking time, as we rise up or we lay down or as we commute to work or if we're in community group or as we even gather here together on Sundays, that we would regularly pray what Paul said about Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. Paul said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and, from, and and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That we would pray that we would have a, a church full of little Timothys, who have from the very beginning be that they're familiar that they've treasured in their hearts the sacred truth of, of who God is so we can we can entreat we can pray second thing that we can do is encourage each and every one of us to those who are raising kids or guardians or or parents especially in our community group i think it would be beautiful to lean into cultivating a culture of honor and encouragement that we would stop somebody and say hey I've really noticed the way that, that you're a really thoughtful mom and how you raised your, your son and, and I, I saw you do this and that was just so godly and I want to take time to encourage you. I really see how you're an intentional father and this is the way that that blesses me. Or for those that serve our kids on Sunday, right? Thank you for teaching today. Thank you for discipling my teenager on a Wednesday night. Thank you for holding my child and praying for them and changing that diaper that we would lean into outdoing one another with honor and that particularly around the important ministry to children that reflects and follows the heart of the Father, that we would encourage one another. And then and finally, as we've already talked about this morning, that we would, that we would engage Right, We're just coming off of the, the series of Jude talking about contending for our faith, fighting for our faith. And one really great way we can contend for the faith is to serve our kids here on Sunday morning. We have an amazing team. They do such a beautiful job. I'm so encouraged as just a parent of this church when I, when I have my kids engaged in that ministry. But We also have, uh, and one of the things that's a huge strength is that a lot of the people that serve on that team are college students. But what happens this time of year in particular is that they go do awesome stuff like take short-term missions trips or go home to see their parents. And so particularly in this moment, we're, we're short on that team because of summer and we need about 40 new team members. And so it could look like serving once a month or every couple weeks, but if you're a covenant member of this church, you're invited to, to be a part of that team. And it's real simple. You have these things that are around the church. They're posters or postcards that say serve, and that gives you some specific instructions as to how you can jump in, whether that's greeting or helping behind the scenes or, or assisting or even teaching a classroom. It's a powerful way to be at the very heart of what God's doing here in and among us as a church. And so we, we began today, actually, by looking at the 78th Psalm. And I haven't, like, preached through that verse by verse. You maybe noticed. But, but why I wanted to begin with Psalm 78 is that the Psalms are the prayer book of the church. It gives us direction, the Psalms, on how to pray. And so as we stand and pray together, I want to, to return to Psalm 78 and let it just be our prayer as a congregation. So if you would stand Stand with me. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. So Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be a people that hold your heart for kids. That we would see them as the gift that they are. And in the midst of a culture that pulls us to focus on so many things, we would would have the discernment and the wisdom and the power by the Holy Spirit to, to remember and hold fast to the precious things. and that you would be so good to us and so gracious that you would make our legacy as a congregation the legacy of of raising up a generation that knows and loves and follows Christ as Lord and Savior. Would you do that among us for your glory and for our joy? Together we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.